Thank you, Pastor Tim. Guys, as I mentioned earlier, my name is George Brown. I get to be the moderator today. So future, future tip for you guys, if you're ever on a panel and you don't know all the questions, volunteer to be the moderator <laughs> and you get to be the one asking the questions, all right? So as we go ahead this morning, there's going to be uh, some heavy questions. There's going to be some serious questions and we're going to do our best to, to have fun, to not take it too serious, but to be serious where it needs to be serious. So I want to just warm up, get a few softball questions for these guys, help you guys know the people answering the questions. So we'll warm up a little bit. And as Pastor Tim mentioned, this is going to be the start of a conversation, not the end of one. We by no means pretend to know all the answers. You know, at Phoenix Bible Church, we say we are imperfect people moved by the perfect love of Jesus. We are imperfect people. And if you're not convinced of that yet, have a conversation with us. You'll find that out very quickly. But we want to continue to have a conversation. So as we're talking, if there's anything that you want to know more about, you want to talk more about, we would love to have coffee with you. We love talking. So I'm going to give you guys a little tip really quick, just down the line. Pastor Tim, if you want to get coffee with him, he'll go to whatever coffee shop you like. Okay, so take that mental note. AC, if you want to get coffee with AC later, he loves provision coffee. All right. The baristas know him by name over there. Iced mocha. I don't know if that's considered coffee or not. Iced mocha. (laughs) All right. And then last but not least, if you want to get coffee with Pastor Shane, he'll meet you in the church office and he'll have a Keurig coffee as long as there's creamer. Sweet creamer. Sweet creamer. He likes the Snickers creamer. All right. So we'll we'll keep going. It's currently chocolate chip cookie, but all right. (laughs) Yeah. But as we we go on, we're just going to warm up a little bit. Pastor Tim, softball question. A question I've been wondering, we haven't heard in a little while. How is your lawn doing? How's your grass? Ooh, that's, that is, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, my grass is completely dead. Okay. And uh, anybody want to pray to revive it in Jesus' name, I'm here for you after the service. Um, I'm just waiting to plant ryegrass and winter, winter grass. And so I'm just keeping it dead, saving all my water bill right now. But thank <laughs> you for asking, George. I know that people wanted to know. That was a highly submitted question. You can talk to the prayer team after the service. Oh, I'm going, I'm going straight over there. You better believe it. Good. Thank you. All right. Pastor AC, this one's warm up for you. All right. We heard and know you recently welcomed a new baby girl into your family, into this world. All right. So congratulations. Thank you. And what's it like being a girl dad? How's it going? What's, what's it like? Yeah. I mean, I mean, boy or girl, there's no sleep right now. So (laughs) that's the biggest thing. Uh, But yeah, even like little smiles just give me terror for what she's going to be like when she's a teenager and have me wrapped around her finger. So Nice. We'll start praying for Pastor AC now. And that's why he's been drinking two iced mochas a day. It makes sense now. All right. And then last but not least, and then we'll get to the real questions. But Pastor Shane, if I'm counting right, I've seen you walk around with four little boys. I'm assuming they're all yours. Yes. And what's it like being a dad to four boys? And what advice would you give to future parents in the room? It's mostly counting to four. Like one, two, three. Okay, good. Well, they're still here. They haven't run away. Yeah, I grew up with brothers, so I was ready for all like the wrestling and fighting. I was surprised by all the breaking, though. Everything we own is broken. It's just they touch it for five and it's, it's gone. So advice is don't buy anything nice. It will get, it'll get broken pretty quick. All right. Well, thank you. Those are, that's really good. I think we're warmed up. Everybody seems comfortable, ready to roll. And we're going to continue. We have a few questions. We did our best to kind of synthesize. We had a lot of questions come in, and we tried to synthesize it down to seven questions that kind of combine them. Um, The first one is actually for Pastor AC. So right in the middle, the first question that we had asked is thinking about the Habakkuk series, 
How do we approach other believers who don't acknowledge specific injustices and aren't angered by them like we are? Yeah, so first as a pastor, I have to confess, I don't normally get angry with other believers. Um, that's a joke. You guys can laugh. <laughs> uh, like, wow, good, good job. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible, apparently. Um, but the reality is I think you're in a good place, right? I mean, we just went through this series together and Habakkuk gives us this example to, uh, to follow where he's feeling the same way. Uh, He's recognizing the things in his own country, among his people, God's people, and seeing all of this injustice. And the reality is it's his people committing those things. Uh, The kingdom has divided and yet people continue to to divide even more. And so uh, what we see as we zoom out a little bit from the book, we just highlighted it over three weeks, but just to remind us, like it's to pray and to listen and to worship, Uh, to focus on who God is and calling out to him first and foremost, Uh, the injustices that we see. And I think the thing I like about that the most is it's calling us to prepare our hearts and put uh, Christ as our foundation in that. And so we're crying out to God for the injustices we see. We're listening for his response through his word and through the spirit uh, and then worshiping him in the midst of it. That's the example that we see in Habakkuk. Uh, And then practically, as we think about how we're interacting with other brothers and sisters when we're discussing specific injustices, and and we'll talk about some of those uh, as we go through this morning, but um, just broadly, uh, we're gonna have to to recognize that uh, it's an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, are we more interested in being right or in doing what's right? So when we're, we're seeing these things that are happening, seeing these things that we want to see change and someone else doesn't recognize those things, are we more focused on, on getting them and, and proving to them that we're the, the ones correct in an argument? Uh, are we actually trying to enact justice in our culture around us? And so if we're focused on enacting justice, I think eventually people's hearts are softened and changed when they experience that. We had Josh and Emma uh, join us from the GEM Foundation this summer and share a little bit about what they're doing in Uganda and some amazing work with uh, kids who have severe special needs and and medical needs. Um, Emma was really young when she moved to Uganda by herself to start this organization because she saw these kids that uh, the people there weren't able to take care of. Their families couldn't take care of them. They didn't have a governmental system that was able to take care of them. And so what she decided to do was do what was right. Uh, And as she did that, people began to catch on and see the things that uh, were injustices in that culture and begin to follow her and support her and government agencies partner with her. And now they have this foundation that we're supporting, Highlands Church is supporting, other churches are supporting uh, because of the work they're doing in Uganda. And really quick, if people are taking notes, AC, you said something really profound there. You said, are we more concerned with being right or doing what's right? I really liked that. Thank you. And I think that just a follow-up question for all three of you guys to answer as we're moving forward. Is it possible for us to be friends and get along with people that we don't see eye to eye on every single issue with? What do you think? Can we be in community with people that we don't completely agree on every single thing? We don't vote the same way. We don't think the same way. Can we still be friends with people like that? Or what do you think? I mean, we're all married, so I hope so. Okay, nice. All right, so as we move forward, we can go ahead and know that if we don't completely agree with even somebody in this room, we can still have fellowship together and still grow together. All right, the next question is, let's see here. Oh, wow. It's a serious one. It's heavy. And what I appreciate about this, I will say I've been at camps and churches where they do panels like this, and they'll plant questions like, hey, I've heard great things about Starting Point. How do I sign up for Starting Point? All right, and you guys are going to see very quickly this morning, we didn't plant questions. These are, these are the real deal. So, Pastor Tim, this one goes to you. 
What does the Bible say about issues like abortion and racism? How should Christians respond? Yeah, that was not sign up for starting point. No. So we did not plant that one. Uh, for both of these, we, we have to start in Genesis, and that's going to be a lot of our answers today. But you start with original design, pre-fall, pre-sin. And, and what we see, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, right, really clearly that God created all of life, all ethnicities, all, all people, and he created them in his image. So everybody here today, you're created in the image of God. And so the reality is before you ever did anything wrong or right, you have inherent dignity, value, and, and worth. And so even as we, as we think about something like racism, right, what we see is the fall distorted and divided not just our relationship with God vertically, but our relationships with others horizontally. It, it distorted that imago Dei, that image of God, that, that treating people with inherent dignity, value, and worth. And so you've seen it in our country's history. You see it today. You see it in biblical times. You see division amongst people. And you see it in the form of racism, ethnic oppression. You see it in discrimination, right? And, and you saw it in the Old Testament, even in biblical times, in the form of, of worship, even in places of worship, like the temple, uh, there would be literal division amongst people, like literal walls, like Jews could worship inside the temple. Gentiles or Greeks had to worship outside the temple. So there was literal divisions, Right? And so when Jesus comes to die on the cross, he, he's reconciling that, that vertical division between us and God caused because of sin. Uh, but he's also reconciling the horizontal division amongst people, right? So that's, that's why we see Ephesians chapter 2, that in the cross, Jesus broke down the walls of hostility. Amen? And so you can picture that literally in the temple. That's why we worship together. Not, some of y'all aren't outside right now. Like everybody's invited in here, no matter what nationality, ethnicity, background, personality you are. Amen? So we see that. And that's an effect of the cross of Jesus Christ. Just like we have a personal relationship with God, our relationships horizontally have been forever transformed. So you see in Galatians chapter two, Paul says, hey, now in Christ, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. We're all one in Christ. You see a picture of eternity in heaven, Revelation chapter 7, this beautiful picture where every tribe, tongue, and nation is wrapped around the glory of Christ. And let me just tell you, if you don't like other ethnicities, if you don't like other people of different colors, you're going to hate heaven because we're going to be together, worshiping together for all of eternity, right? And, and listen, what, what can we do? Because i got to move on to abortion. Um, but I would just say this is we can advocate for unity. We should be leading the way in unity in the church of Jesus Christ. One of my prayers for our church, and I can't make this happen, is that we would be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church wrapped around the glory of Christ, that we would be practicing for heaven every single Sunday. Wouldn't that be great? That's our goal. So we, we speak out against racism, not because it's just bad or unkind. It's a direct affront to the cross, to the Imago Dei, and to eternity, right? And so that, that's why it should matter to us as believers. That's why we speak out. That's why we actively promote unity. Uh, for abortion, uh, this is going to be a theme, at least for me today. I think sometimes uh, with something like an issue like abortion, uh, we tend to speak about that issue instead of speaking with and toward people. And here's the reality is that there's people in this room who've had abortions. There's people in this room who have at least wrestled with that idea. There, there's women, there's men who have encouraged it. And right now, 
probably right now in this room, there's some shame, even as we say the word. And so first off, you need to know, if that's you, we love you. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, amen? There's freedom from shame in Jesus Christ. And so first we need to say that to you. And then, then I would say, as we, as we look at the idea of abortion, again, we go back to the very beginning, to the Imago Dei, that all of life has inherent dignity, value, and worth. AC just had a baby, right? And Ellie is super cute, but she can't do anything but poop, sleep, and maybe laugh. Is she laughing yet? Not even laughing yet. <laughs> and yet she has, not just for AC and Lauren, but for all of us in this room, she has incredible value and worth. And we treat her that way. And the reality is what we see in scripture, Psalm 139 tells us life starts in the womb, the preciousness of life. It's knit together, the word of God says. And so we have to start there as well. And we see the New Testament, we got John the Baptist, he's leaping in the womb, right? We have Jesus Christ, the son of God. How is he gonna rescue all of humanity from our sin and darkness? He comes through the, the womb. He comes as a baby. And so we protect life. We advocate for life. And we do it from womb to tomb. And so all of life, we stand up. We, we actively speak. And listen, I think the church probably is known for speaking out against abortion publicly. I think it's something we need to grow in is speaking better personally. A good question to navigate this on your own is to think about this. If there was somebody else in your life who was considering an abortion, would they come to you about it? Would, would they think, you know, you're just going to judge them, shame them, and kick them out? Or would they think, no, that's going to be a place of grace and truth, and they're going to help me. They're going to walk alongside me. Now, would they say that about our church? I hope so. Would they see a church that has an initiative called Love Fosters that actively is serving and caring for moms who have babies? with Hope Women's Center, with Ohana, like we have before and we will continue to do. That's what we want to be about is advocating and caring for all of life, women, kids, and everybody in between. I, I appreciate that you mentioned it's not simply like issues that are abstract, but there's people involved. And I think that brings us back to your question. It's easier to argue amongst Christians as long as it stays an issue. But remember, there's people involved. We want to work together and care for them specifically, not just fight about an idea. That's good. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, Shane, we're going to move on to our next question for you. Is There's a few questions about this, and we just simplified it down to this question. How can a loving God allow hell to exist? Pass. <laughs> All right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I wasn't ready for that, that, Shane. Okay, is that your one pass? How many did we get? Yeah, okay, this right. is yours now. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I appreciate uh, this question, actually, because I think it, it speaks to the person's heart that asks it. Um, unloving and apathetic people don't ask this kind of question. So it's actually, it's, it's, it's encouraging to even people are concerned about those that they, they love and they're concerned about hell. Um, I think there's a second question that's also an enormous obstacle for people that should be paired with this one. So we ask, how does a loving God allow hell to exist? We should ask, how does a loving God allow evil to exist? That's what, we talked about that in the Habakkuk series a bit. And so those are two questions that are kind of opposite to each other because on one instance we see there's all this evil in the world and, and it's hurting people we love and we hate it. And then there's sinful people that do these sinful things and we want God to deal with it and punish it. But on the other hand, we don't want God to send people to hell. And so we want God to punish sin. We also 
don't want God to punish sin. And so the only way I think we can balance both these ideas in our mind is if when we set ourselves up as the judge that says, all right, all right, I want you to deal with that sin and take care of these problems and those people, but this stuff isn't a big deal. It's okay. So don't punish those and send them to hell. That seems too much, right? Uh, and, and God says, well, you don't get to be the judge. Uh, I get to be the judge. I'm the holy, righteous one who determines uh, what's going to happen. And he hates sin and evil far more than any of us do. Uh, and he loves people uh, created in his image far more than any of us do. It would be wrong for us to think like, well, I think maybe I'm more loving than God because I would do something differently. And that's where the, the gospel actually is the beauty of solving both these questions at the same time. So Jesus comes and he dies on the cross for our sins. He bears the entire weight of God's full wrath uh, on him. God hates evil and punishes it. Not that Jesus was evil, but he was being a substitute for those who commit evil. And so we ask, well, how can God allow evil? And he doesn't. He deals with it. He punishes it. And then he promises us that ultimately it'll all be rid from the world. But at the same time, because he's a loving God, he says, I, I want to save these people from the punishment. And so Jesus offers his own life voluntarily uh, for all the people who deserve the punishment and says, I'll die in their place. And so to see people suffering from sin and say, I'm willing to die in their place for them is certainly more loving than to say, I see that sin and I'm going to ignore it and not deal with it. Um, before I, I close the answer to the question, I think there's one more thing to address, and that's that the doctrine of hell is in fact troubling. And I think it should be. Like my goal isn't to ease all of your consciences so we can get out of here and be like, oh, phew, hell's not that bad. Or maybe nobody goes there, right? I'm not trying to ease it. I think there's a, there's a health to the fact that it is troubling and it should bother us. And, and being bothered by hell should move us to action. Um, I think God was bothered by the idea that people he loved were going somewhere and rightfully being punished for something. And he said, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna act and I'm gonna send Jesus Christ. Uh, in Romans 9, uh, verse three, Paul is, is worried about the people he loves going to hell and he doesn't say, well, it, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe they won't be there, right? Um, he says, uh, I, I wish, or I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And I, I wish I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. And he devotes his whole life to sharing the gospel. There were a couple other questions, as you mentioned, about hell. Like, uh, what's it like? Because if it's as bad as we think it is, that's troubling. Um, how can we enjoy heaven if, if pe we know people are in hell because it's troubling? And I hope to answer both those questions directly later. Um, but that's a trouble that we need to learn to, to motivate us to move. That's really good. And I like that you kind of mentioned, you like talked about God's being the judge and that even that foundational question is, am I assuming that I'm more compassionate that, than God? And that's what we've been talking about in this Habakkuk series is as we have questions, we get to anchor them in the character of God, that we trust who God is more than even what we are even thinking or experiencing at the moment. And so we know in the character of God, he is a God of love and he loved us so much that he moved to send his son. For our, us. our default tends to be, well, I wouldn't do that. So it's probably a bad idea, but that's not how God operates. Yeah, that, that's great. All right, we're gonna go back to Pastor Tim. Another easy question for you. All right, quote unquote easy. How should Christians engage in politics? What does it look like for the church? Hey, I said it was easy, okay. 
What does it look like for the church to stand up against the evil in our government? Yeah, so I think we have to start, 1 Timothy 2 uh, calls us to pray for our leaders. So I think a good question for you uh, and all of us is, do we do that? Do we pray for the president of the United States right now? Did we pray for the last one? Will we pray for the next one? Do we pray for our, our council men and women in our city? Do we pray for our congressmen, our senators? First Timothy 2 calls us. We have a biblically mandated responsibility to pray. And what I would say is that that's where it starts. And many of us, unfortunately, that's where we, we don't start, right? We start with posting, not praying. We, we start with complaining, not, not praying. And I think it's, it's Christians who read the book that I read, the Bible, we have to start with, with prayer, and I think as we move beyond that, we have to look at submission to the government, uh, right? We, we are called to obey the laws of the land and submit to the government, to be good citizens at the, very, at the very least. But there's a reality for us, and Scripture gives us this language, is that we are, we're citizens of a country, but we're also citizens of a kingdom, right? And so we are to submit to a government, but ultimately we're to submit and even worship the God over all governments, Right? We see this in Mark chapter 12. Jesus gives us this picture. He's basically being asked, like, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And there's probably a coin there, like a literal coin. And he says, well, hey, whose image is on that coin? And they say, well, well Caesar. And Jesus says pretty clearly, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, like pay your taxes. So sorry, everybody. This morning, if you were hoping for a different answer, you got to pay your taxes. What I love about Jesus is he doesn't start, stop there, right? He says, hey, what, what's, what's the image on that coin? Oh, Caesar, you give that to him. But then basically he says, hey, what's, what's the image on your life? God. So you give your whole life to him. Give the government the coin. Be a good citizen. Worship Jesus Christ, right? And don't ever get those things confused, and so I think when we think about like, well, how do we rise up? That was part of the question, right? I, I think we need to talk about what does rise up mean, right? We, we say as a church, our mission is to love Jesus and live like Jesus. So what, how did Jesus rise up? I, I can tell you as I, as I read the gospels, Jesus gets hated on. He's, he's disappointing a lot of people because what they wanted was a political leader to rise up against Rome. And yet Jesus never did that. What we see is Jesus even going to the cross, that it says he uttered not a word, right? And all of us, like, we're waiting for the Braveheart moment in that. <laughs> like, no, freedom! Like, no, he uttered not a word? And it just seemed like Jesus wasn't building a political kingdom, but a spiritual one. And we see that all the time, right? Light in the midst of darkness. He's healing the sick. He's caring for the poor and oppressed. He, he's speaking the name of God and calling people to repentance. He's making disciples, who would go on to make disciples, who would rise up and plant churches and be lights in the darkness in the book of Acts and even 2,000 years later today. That's what we're a part of, is this rising up. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, right? We see the disciples proclaiming Christ, caring for the poor and the oppressed, planting churches like crazy. Here's what we don't see. We don't see consumeristic Christianity where people are playing the game and treating church like a hobby, and so the question of, do we need to rise up? Heck yes, we need to rise up. We need to stop treating church like an American consumeristic hobby like golf or the country club or LA fitness. Like we need to, we need to rise up by kneeling down on our knees and praying for revival. And then we need to act 
And we need to, Shane talked about it in light of hell. We need to have some urgency about the way we serve people, about the way we proclaim the grace of Christ, the cross of Christ, how we should treat people in light of the gospel. Listen to me. The government shouldn't be treating people better than the church is. The, the hope is in the church of Jesus Christ. And we should be rising up. I don't think that means rising up. Uh, maybe the way some of you think it means or some of the people in our world think it means or think that I should rise up by bringing a political candidate in on stage. Just so you know, we're never going to do that because I don't think that's what rising up like Jesus rose up means, right? But we are going to call each other to radical repentance and mission and revival in Jesus' name and see our world hopefully change because of that. And if you take a job in politics, man, Glory be to God, and you affect change that way. But if you're working in a cube or if you're coming to church, man, everything you do matters to bring light in the midst of darkness to a world that desperately needs it, to a world that is evil and has evil in our government. Right? So that, that's, that's where I think we would start. Again, I think a good question to ask, as you post, as you act, as you speak politically, Think through, will this ultimately win my side or will it witness for God? As kingdom citizens over American citizens, that's where we have to start. I believe God would use that if we did that. I think that's really helpful. And one of the things we say a lot, I've heard you say a lot, Pastor Tim, is that we engage culture, we uphold truth, and we love well. And I think even as we look across our landscape, we'll see a lot of people doing one of those things. Maybe they engage culture, maybe they uphold truth, maybe they love well. But I think the challenge and what you're calling us to do is to do all three. It's not going to be some fact or some Facebook post that's going to win people to Christianity, but by his love, yeah. they're going to know. And, and I would say, get out there and vote and, and get out there and protest. Like, do that, but let's first... Let's pray for our leaders. Let's get on our knees. Let's pray for a revival. Let's live that out and then go vote. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I thought there were going to be claps, but I guess, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, yeah. You're like, did he just ask for claps? Yes, I did. I just answered the politics question, people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. There we go. All right. Moving on. Um, Pastor AC, this one is for you. Um, this one is just, where is God in the midst of abuse and shame? Yeah, I, I mean, first, I want to talk broadly about shame first and then go in maybe specifically to abuse. But um, before I do that, just as a pastor here, if you've experienced abuse, uh, if you're experiencing abuse, we care about you. We love you and we want to see you find healing in Jesus and find healing in this community. And so if you are, especially if you're currently experiencing those things, uh, we do want to talk to you about that. We'd love to hear and pray with you about that and help figure out what the next steps are, whether it be counseling or some other type of care. Uh, we don't want to be a church that like addresses things on a stage and then just goes ahead and heads to lunch. Like we want to be a church that really cares for our people um, and that we have a community that supports one another in the midst of that. Uh, specifically to, to shame. I think it's helpful for us to recognize that from Genesis 3, shame is rooted in sin. And so in Genesis 2, you have this picture, Adam and Eve, they're, they're uh, made in God's image. They see each other. They're both naked and they're unashamed. And then in like three sentences, bam, they are uh, fallen. They've eaten the fruit. They've rebelled against God. They've sinned and they see one another and they run in opposite directions to cover themselves up. They're ashamed. 
So they go from unashamed to shame because of sin like that. Uh, and that's the root of what shame comes from. And we see that in all of our lives. Uh, sometimes shame comes from sin that we're guilty of, that we've committed. And sometimes shame comes from sins that others have committed against us. Uh, and so maybe just really quickly, for those who are feeling and experiencing shame because of the things that you've done, you're, you're bearing the burden and the weight, even beating yourself up over the things that you've, you've done in your past and maybe are still struggling with in your present. Um, and you're run, wondering, what am I supposed to do in the midst of this? I think we have a really clear picture that we're supposed to confess and repent. That's the power of having a community in Christ, that we're brought together, recognizing that our forgiveness in Jesus is bigger than our mistakes on our own strength, uh, and recognizing that his blood has paid the price for us and given us a, a, a forgiveness that we can't earn ourselves. And so that sense of shame should be conquered by that. First Corinthians 6 puts it this way. Uh, Paul gives this long list of sins that uh, basically anybody in this room, one of us, uh, we will find one for sure that we're guilty of. And then he says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And so I think some of you probably wrestling with whether or not you have uh, unrepented or unconfessed sin. I would just encourage you to find uh, some friends, find some relationships, find uh, the people in this church that you can confess that to and begin to walk the path of repentance. Um, but then maybe more specifically, because we had several questions related to the abuse and, and the idea of being sinned against. Uh, the reality is, is that there is evil in this world. We've addressed it in, in a variety of ways this morning already. Um, and that is not God's hope. That is not God's desire he sees the injustice in this world. And like Shane said, he acted through his son, Jesus. Uh, and at the same time, we continue as a church to recognize that people are struggling with that, struggling with the feeling and the sense of shame from what happened to them when they were children, what's happening to them right now. And like I said before, we wanna be a church that addresses those things, uh, but we're a church that has hope. And so we believe that you can find healing in Jesus. And that's a healing that ultimately comes uh, in the end, in the return of Christ, in this picture in Revelation 21, when uh, we are among God, dwelling with him in the city of heaven that is eternal. Uh, and there is this hope and sense that which we have a, a, a reconciliation with him that we can only get a foretaste of now. Uh, Revelation 21, it says it in verse four, it says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There is a hope that in, in eternity to come, there's a place where you're dwelling in the presence of God among God's people. And that in that city, we have a hope and a rest and a peace and a healing where all of the things that we've experienced in our past, whether by our own doing or by the harm of others, we have peace in God's love. I think that's something that we wanna uh, continue to cling to and continue to remind one another of. And um, specifically, I know one of the questions was addressing how how do you deal with shame as a man? Um, in our culture, there's certainly a, an air in which men should be strong. Uh, men should be silent. Men should suffer and endure and just get through things. Uh, and that is not the type of culture we want to have as a church because that's not healthy. At the end of the day, we want to be a, a church culture where men are confident and compelled to encourage one another, to confess to one another, but also to be able to hear and listen to hard things when our brothers have experienced things that, that cause shame whether it be when they were children or again, uh, even now in these, 
in these days. And so we wanna be a church that has that sense of community. And so if you're a man and you don't have relationships where you feel like you can confess that, uh, you can share those things, I wanna encourage you to really seek after those relationships. Uh, I think one of the coolest pictures I've seen uh, of this is veterans. Whether they fought in World War II uh, or in some of the more recent conflicts, uh, veterans have this really cool way in which an older man will, will come next to a younger man who's just experienced and, and has returned uh, from some type of war and battle uh, and just even silently but confidently comfort them with, with a nod, like a knowing nod and a hand on the shoulder. And guys, you know that that's, that's kind of the first step, right? Just someone else that understands what we've experienced. And it doesn't take a lot of verbose and, and all kinds of uh, wordy answers, but it's just a caring sense that this is a safe place to share what you've experienced and someone else understands that too. And I think that's the power of community also is when we can share the things that we've experienced and others can connect. Um, that's a really, really powerful way for us to find healing. Talk about what that looks like here, like community groups, mending the soul, you want to share about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's multifaceted. I think specific to what you're experiencing, you know, like I mentioned before, um, we want to help assist in what ways that we can. Uh, and so if you're experiencing abuse and you want to find healing, absolutely, community groups are a great way uh, for you to have a place for people to build relationships, but there may be more depending on what you're experiencing. And as a church, we want to do our best to, to sh- come alongside you. We have counseling resources that we recommend all of the time, people that come alongside and listen to uh, and, and care for deeper issues. We have people in our church that are either counselors now or studying to be counselors. I pray that we have more because I know that not only our church, but our city needs more people who are trained to listen and help walk people through this pathway of healings, uh, pathways of healing. Uh, and I just, I wanna encourage you to be praying for those people, especially even if you don't know them specifically, maybe pray for opportunities and how can you uh, support and encourage people experiencing those things. Um, yeah, and I think probably one thing to address, cause there was a question about it specifically is specific to the, you may have heard the term like church hurt. And there's a sense in which there is a responsibility that leaders in churches have to care for and to shepherd the flock, right? God's people. And there's a reality that there are, there are people who have taken the role of pastor or the role of some other type of leader in the church and caused pain because of some type of spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, other types of abuse. As a, as a as a church, we want to address those things directly. And we talk about them in sermons and we talk about them in conversations. Um, but more specifically, as leaders, we have a, a, a role to hold each other accountable to that, uh, to be really cautious about how we care for people in the midst of experiencing those things, and how we're treating one, one like how we're treating one another, but also how we're treating people in our flock. And so, I think that's a really just a big thing to, to address too: is we want to shepherd people, we want to care for people. Uh, we don't want them to feel neglected, and we also don't want them to feel uh, abused in some way either. There's going to be prayer at the end like there always is. I think that's a great place to start. Typically, somebody fills out a Connect card. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward, but you're experiencing shame in whatever way, we'd love to help you get next steps. Shame grows in the dark, and Satan wants to keep you there. And so we want to try to lift it in the light, not to everyone, but to someone, and that's where the healing happens. That's good. Yeah, and Pastor AC, I think I'm hearing you say there's long-term hope. We know there's going to be peace, there's going to be healing, but in the near term, in the short term, there's still pain, there's still hurt. And so we just want to encourage you in some way, make a connection, even if that's community groups, Sunday classes, even talking to somebody in the lobby. Shame grows in the dark, so get connected. That's what the church is for. And I think we have time for one or two more questions. So thank you guys for bearing with us. Everybody take a breath really quick. 
it's been a lot of heavy, heavy questions, but we, we appreciate it and we know it's helpful. Um, so Pastor Tim, this, this next one is for you and we'll see, we'll see how you do on time. We're doing great, by the way. Usually we're wrapping up point number one right now in the morning. <laughs> I'm not saying what, Pastor, I'm just saying generally wow, speaking. Fired. No, whoever happens to be on stage, it's usually point one. Um, but we're doing great. So we're going to go one more question for Pastor Tim. If God loves all people, why does it seem like the LGBTQ community is continually excluded from God's church? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to try to keep this short. <laughs> Sorry. George. Um, yeah, I, I won't get to everything and fully exhaust this. So definitely Shane invited it about heaven and hell. We said it at the beginning, but if you want to continue this conversation, it is the start of one, not the end. Uh, and so I, I'd love to continue it. We would love to continue. There's so many nuances to this, but, but here, here's what I would start is wh- where the question started with love. Like what, what is love? Um, I love fajitas. I don't know about you. Uh, I love that football is back. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Right. Um, but is that, is that what we're talking about? Is that love? And I think sometimes as we look at love in our culture, right? We're going to spend a whole series talking about lies about love. And as we look about love in our culture, uh, sometimes what I see loved practically defined as or expressed is um, as agreeing with someone or accepting someone or things like tolerance. Basically, love in our culture sometimes is just something that's free of hate, right? Just don't hate anybody and you kind of love them. And yet, as we look at the New Testament specifically, we see a radically raised bar for love, right? We see this word agape in Greek, agapo, as we love one another. And it's this idea of this undeserved, dedicated, sacrificial love. It's loving someone else like you would a close friend. That's what we see, the version of love in the New Testament. And what we see is believers in Jesus... I know not everybody is a believer in Jesus, maybe in this room, but if you are a believer in Jesus, you have a biblically mandated responsibility to love. It's not an option on a quiz where we can check none of the above, right? We we are called and commanded to love. It's the greatest commandment, right? Love God, love neighbor, right? Love God, love people. And I I think it's so interesting that 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 word neighbor is used there. Uh, Because as Christians, it's the idea that we're supposed to love people, undeserved, sacrificial, committed love. We're supposed to love people, not that we accept, not that we agree with, but who were just around our neighbors. And here's the reality, is all across the city of Phoenix in which we live, the fifth largest in the country, maybe even in this room, there are people that wrestle with, that identify with, the LGBTQ community in some aspect, way, shape, or form, their gender, their sexual orientation. These are not just issues to debate out there. These are people to love in here, in this room. And so first off, we need to, as Christians, be, the question was, what, how, why are they excluded? Why are they not loved? We need to be not just loving them. We need to be leading the way in love. We need to be showing agape love, undeserved love, sacrificial love, like true love. And one of the things, I, I'm not um, licensed to say this, like um, on behalf of the Big C Church or all pastors everywhere, but I don't care. 
I'm just going to say it and claim it this morning. You didn't know. If you identify in any sort of way, gender, sexuality, LGBTQ, you didn't know. I love you. We love you. And I'm sorry that you haven't felt that. I'm sorry that maybe it hasn't been that way. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you've been excluded. I'm sorry that you've been isolated. I'm sorry that you've experienced shame. Like, you you shouldn't experience that from the people of, of God who are called to love you as our neighbors who were all around you. And so I, I'm, I'm sorry that you haven't been loved like that. I'm sorry that this has been treated as de-sin and not a-sin. I'm sorry that some churches have, have gone after this one thing as an issue. I'm sorry that some of us as people sometimes we're prone to do that. At people who sin differently than us, we rage and want judgment and maybe even exclusion. And yet for our own sin, we want grace. And I'm sorry for that. Right. I'm, I'm a dad of a 14-year-old daughter and... Um, I knew I shouldn't have, I wasn't going to say that because I knew what would happen. The salty residue would come out of my eyes. Um, and one thing, I, one thing I lament is when I see, uh, especially young people, some people who have legitimate experiences, desires towards LGBTQ in some way, right? But some who probably don't, but they're going towards that community because they just want to be seen and valued and loved, and they, they see that as a community who does that on social media and real life or whatever, and they don't see the church as that. And so they go there instead of coming in here. And that needs to change. And they need to see, no, the church is the place where I can be seen and valued and loved. The, the church is the one who has the agape love, the undeserved sacrificial love. I want to go there. And the, the question we have to ask, and I mean, I, I'm asking it with Young people, with, with old people, with people in this room, as I said, this is a real issue, is what does love look like? What does that agape love look like? And I think in short, I don't have time to preach a sermon today, and some of you are like, are you sure that's what you're doing? Um, <laughs> but I would say it looks like Jesus, right? And what we see in John chapter 1 is Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Here's the reality. It wasn't 50-50. It was 100% full of truth, 100% full of grace. Here's what we like to do, is we like to be 90-10, 60-40, right? We have churches that, that are established kind of under that banner, like, hey, we're more, we're truth, or like, no, we're more grace, and we, we replace the cross with the rainbow flag, and we, they think that's grace. And then the, on the other end of the spectrum, like, people that just rail on people, sexual sin all the time, orientation all the time, and they think, no, that, that's truth, and they pick one because it's messy to be full of grace and full of truth. But last time I checked, that was what Jesus was. And we're here because we follow Jesus. And so we have to love like that. And so as Phoenix Bible Church, again, it's good if, if you're new and you're here today because we're always going to shoot for full of grace and full of truth, not 50-50, not 60-40, not 90-10. We're going to go for both. And let me tell you, sometimes I'm like, but it'd be easier if we just chose one. <laughs> it'd make my life easier. But yet, I don't think we're called the easy. I think we're called the Jesus. And that's, that's what he is about. And so we're full of truth, 
right? And again, I, I don't have time today, but what I would say is at the very beginning, God's design was man and it was woman. And it was marriage between man and woman. If you come here for any length of time, you're, you're going to hear God's design. You're going to hear truth, right? We're going to see Jesus in Matthew 19 affirm that, that what God joined together, let no man separate. This was God's idea, God's design. Now, what we see is Genesis chapter 3. Really quickly, a fall happens, sin happens. It distorts everything, including our sexual orientation, right? And so there's legitimate feelings and experiences that people in our world have, people that you have that, that aren't righteous, that aren't fitting with God's design, right? We, we acknowledge that. And yet Jesus says something really interesting. He doesn't say to obey yourself or your feeling or your experience. He actually says to deny yourself and follow him. He actually gives us this picture of being born again. Do you know why? It's because when you come to Jesus, everything has to change. Everything does change, right? Mentally, spiritually, sexually, you're born again. Jesus acknowledges that there's a distortion from the original design and you need to be transformed. And what it looks like to really love somebody, that agape love, is to not hide that truth from them, but to speak that truth in love to journey with them, to continually do that. It's full of truth, but it's also full of grace. It's where we, we let people know who struggle with their sexual orientation, struggle with their gender identity, whatever it is, and let them know, hey, there's grace for you. There's forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ for you. Amen. There's freedom from shame for you. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why the son of God, perfect in every way, died on the cross is because there's real issues, there's real sin, there's real pain and shame. And it took not just some moral acts, not just obeying some laws, but it took the perfect son of God dying on the cross. And he did it, Romans says, once for all. He's not coming back to do it again for your sexual sin. He died once, past, present, future. Amen, hallelujah. There's grace for everybody in this room. And Christians should lead the way in loving like that full of truth, but also full of grace. And, and I realized as I just outlined both of those things, some of you got nervous at both ends of the spectrum. And that's probably a good thing because that's what I see when I look at the life of Jesus. Everybody got nervous around him. Why are you spending time with the tax collector and the prostitute? Why are you railing against the, the religious people of the day and calling them whitewashed tombs? Why are you speaking the truth? Why are you full of truth and yet full of grace? And that's what we're called to do as Christians, as Phoenix Bible Church. That's the kind of place and the people we want to be. Well, great. Thank you, Pastor Tim. We did our best to keep it within the time. And if we didn't answer your question fully, or if you want to talk more, we, we love to talk to you guys. Remember the coffee suggestions, okay, as we move on. But as we start to wrap it up, I'm going to turn it um, back to you, Pastor Tim. But first, I want to take off my moderator hat which I've only worn once, all right? And just put on my member of PBC hat. I just want to say to you three guys, thank you. Thanks for leading us well. Thank you for leading us in grace and truth. So thank you very much. And Pastor Tim, I will turn it back to you. Uh, I love my daughter. Uh, her name's Neela. She's great. I kind of mentioned her and started crying. AC just mentioned that might be confusing. She's fine. She's healthy. She's great. <laughs> um, sorry, Neela. I'm very sorry. Yes, I'm going to hear about this one later today. <laughs> hey, we need Jesus. Amen. Let's pray to him right now. God, thank you. 
for being so good. Uh, God, we're, we're, uh, our hope is not in our goodness, our ability to answer questions. Um, our hope is in the goodness, the character and nature of God, the person and work of God. And God, I just pray that uh, as we have things that may be even uncomfortable right now, just from even this conversation, God, you would fix our eyes upon the goodness of God, that Jesus Christ did come perfectly and full of grace, full of truth. We're imperfect, but God, you are perfect. Help us to, to worship you, know that you meet us where, you, where we are, wherever that might be. Help us to know that our, our hope is in you, that our forgiveness is in you, that our freedom is found in you, that you give us every reason to sing, not because we have all the answers, but because we know the one who does, and it's you. And so God, I pray that that would bring comfort in real time this morning. I pray that we'd be able to celebrate Jesus Christ this morning. What a beautiful picture of eternity. People who have different thoughts and backgrounds and ethnicities and personalities yet get to sing about the goodness of God together, that you have rescued us through the cross of Jesus Christ out of darkness, out of death, into light and life. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. It's in your name we sing. And everybody said, amen.